Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about water quality here in Southeast Michigan. A recent study from the Environmental Working Group shows tap water in Southeast Michigan has concerning levels of a chemical that is linked to cancer. Think about how often you just turn the faucet and get whatever is coming out of it uh, to put in a glass or to put on the stove. We never really think about what's in that water here in Southeast Michigan. We are used to really high water quality. The question is, is that water quality degrading? Is it deteriorating? Is it changing in a way that we ought to be paying attention to? We'll have a free press reporter here and Nick Schreck, who is director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic and assistant clinical professor at Wayne State University Law School to help us sort of take a look at that and figure out what is going on. But first, we often hear the word patriotism used in the context of abiding by the status quo, indicating an element of deference or obedience to the law of the land. But Americans are who we are because we have historically pushed back against that status quo. That was true, of course, of the American Revolution. It's also true of the end of slavery through war, women's suffrage, and the end of Jim Crow in the 1960s. In a new book, University of Detroit Mercy political science professor Alex Zamelin looks at the role that resistance has played in key moments of American history. He examines the lives and words of David Walker, Frederick Douglass, Ida B. Wells, the Black Panther Party, Huey Newton, and Angela Davis. According to the book's description, quote, each helped revise and transform ideas about power, justice, community action, and the role of emotion in political action. Joining me now to talk about this history of resistance here in the United States is Alex Samelin, professor of political science and director of African-American studies at University of Detroit Mercy, author of the book, Struggle on Their Minds, The Political Thought of African-American Resistance. Uh, Alex, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Uh, I I think this is a fascinating topic, uh, partially because, as you point out in the book, this is something that's been with us in America since the beginning. The idea of African-American struggle and resistance, though, is, I think, quite set apart from the sort of mainstream idea of resistance, the mainstream idea of resistance that birthed this country, for for instance. Uh, let's start by talking about that juxtaposition. What is it about African-American resistance that stands out for you? I think that's a great question. And I think, for me, the main difference is that African-American resistance has always been a struggle in part against racism, white supremacy, inequality. In other words, things that the American revolutionaries were not as concerned with. American revolutionaries were much more interested in kind of securing political freedom from the British and trying to organize their affairs in a way that gave kind of a certain group let's say, propertied folks, those who already had power, uh, more power. But the history of African-American resistance, whether you look at the anti-slavery struggle or the anti-lynching struggle or um, 
anything from the black power to the even the civil rights movement and uh, new forms of resistance has always been centered, at least in part, on dealing with social inequality yeah. and economic inequality and real kind of um, violence, right. which is something that we're still struggling with today. And, and in some ways, though, the nature of African-American resistance or struggle is about trying to get America as an institution, as a government, uh, as, as a culture, to recognize the things that America says it recognizes right. for everybody. I mean, it really is, uh, it's different from the kind of resistance that would say, we don't want to be part of this right. anymore. Right. It's right. a resistance that says, no, you have to respect that I am part of this and treat me fairly. Right. Uh, I think I think you're right, and I think that um, one of the things that I want to show, and maybe this is kind of more of a technical thing, is that resistance, as I understand it, as opposed to protest, for instance, mm -hmm. is actually uh, a challenge to the kind of American way of thinking about politics itself. And so while I do agree with you, and I think that if you look at the history of resistance, from most notably Frederick Douglass mm -hmm. and the famous um, What to a Slave is the Fourth of July speech, there's a push to kind of make the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution the barometer for what it means to be an American and to include black Americans and to end slavery. But at the same time, if you look more closely, and this is one of the things that I want to point out in the book, um, you actually see that there's a push against dominant ways of thinking about things like freedom. So I can give you an example. Mm -hmm. If you look at the uh, Black Panther Party in the 1960s, which is formulated in Oakland, in part as a response to police brutality, they have this document, which in a way mirrors the Bill of Rights. It's called the 10-point strategy. And if you look at some of the arguments they're making, they're talking about decent housing for everybody. They're talking about the ability for black citizens to control their fate. They're talking about uh, more expansive social justice, um, economic justice programs, which again is not generally the way that we think about <laughs> Americans resisting. Right. The, the general thought I think is that Americans resist to be included in the existing structure, right? To have a piece of the pie. Yes. But I think black resistance is as much about inclusion as it is about reformulating what the pie looks like right. and <laughs> what the project should be in America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Alex Amelin. He's a professor of political science and director of African American Studies at University of Detroit Mercy. He is the author of a book called Struggle on Their Minds, the Political Thought of African American Resistance. We are talking about that resistance, that historical resistance that we have seen in this country among African Americans to the oppression that they have faced uh, first institutionally, uh, always culturally, uh, and both in the past and in the present. What, what does that resistance tell us about America today? What does it tell us about African Americans and their place? in society? What does it tell us about America more broadly? Is this a place that has not fulfilled the promises of equality and justice that 
exist in its founding documents. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you think about the idea of resistance and particularly resistance among African-Americans. What does it tell you about this country? What do you think about resistance in the modern context as opposed to the historical context? Think about movements like Black Lives Matter, uh, the recent push against police brutality. Uh, is that is that an extension of this history? Is it a new sort of take on that history? Uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, uh, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag uh, Detroit today, and we will what we will work you into the conversation. Uh, at, at, at bottom, one of the questions here is: What does it mean to be patriotic in this uh, society? Uh, is it patriotic to resist? Is that part of being an American? Are you expressing that American identity when you push back against authority? Uh, and do you consider yourself a patriot if you do that? Do you think? Resistance is part of your Americanism here in the United States. 313-577-1019, again, is the number. Uh, Alex, I want to talk some about this idea of the Confederacy as resistance. Uh, and, and the reason I bring it up is because in Hollywood, apparently they are busy making a, a miniseries or a show or something that imagines what the United States would look like if the Confederacy had won. And I, there are a lot of people who, who have real problems with, with the idea of that. But for me, it's sort of a curious, it's a curious uh, a data point, I guess, in this discussion. Uh, people who, who find their heritage in the Confederacy talk about that in the same kind of tones and descriptions that we talk about other kinds of resistance. And of course, it's about something very different. That was not about, hey, we want America to change, to accept our way of doing it. We don't want to be Americans, right? We want to go and do our own thing. The idea of that uh, being sort of analogous, I guess, to African-American resistance is both at once, uh, you know, I think quite shocking and maybe offensive, but also, I think it's a, a little bit intriguing. What's the to, to try to sit and draw the distinctions between those two things? I think um, it's an important point to consider, and I also think actually that one of the interesting things about this proposed show is a kind of almost, um, I would say, a marginalization of the history of slavery, mm -hmm. which is to say that to imagine a story in which the Confederacy wins is to assume that on some level, we today have moved past the issue <laughs> right. of racism and sure. white supremacy and racial inequality. It's actually a striking thought. And quite frankly, I mean, this was at the root of the narrative of the lost cause, which started to emerge after the reconstruction period in yes. the 1880s, 1890s, which basically said, that slavery was ultimately not about, um, uh, or the Civil War rather, the was, war not was not about slavery, that it was sure. actually about um, uh, culture, Southern culture. And I think your point about 
the Confederacy meaning something to Southerners mm -hmm. and to try to, in a cinematic way, make vivid what that means is very much in part, strikingly, I think, a kind of whitewashing of the history of slavery and sure. actually how integral it was to America and how integral its after effects are today upon American society. Right, right. It, it, it sort of, uh, it elevates the idea of equality maybe beyond what we've been able to achieve. Exactly, exactly. And I think that there's this sense often that somehow we have moved beyond our past and somehow we have achieved some semblance of racial equality. And I think the election of uh, Barack Obama really created that narrative. Sure. And I think part of the thing to always remember is that when we look at various resistance movements, we have to attend to the way that they are trying to transform certain values. The Confederacy or this imagined Confederacy as mm -hmm. resistance or the Tea Party as resistance. I think it's a very interesting take on what resistance is because actually, yes, they are resisting the status quo, but where do they want us to return? Right. And what exactly are their politics? If you actually look at the history of resistance, at least as it was formulated during the French Revolution, it was always about expanding equality and freedom. And so one of the things that strikes me today- So can you resist to restrict exactly, equality Exactly, exactly. I think that's a very good question. And I don't think so because I'm interested in the intellectual lineage. And part of the thing I want to recover about the term of resistance, especially in the context of resistance being used today against the Trump presidency, mm -hmm. and it's a, become a hashtag, I want to recover the idea of resistance as egalitarian transformation. And all of these figures that I discuss don't simply see resistance as saying no. Within the no, there's a yes to a new world. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, Let's talk about how you chose the, the subjects, the people who you feature in the book. In some ways, they're, they're obvious choices. In other, in other ways, there are other people, I suppose, I could have said, well, why not this person? Uh, so, so how do you narrow that list to the people who you think best sort of embody what you're talking about? I think uh, it's always a, a difficult choice to kind of write on resistance and black resistance because, as I try to point out, it is very much integral to black history and to black identity historically. I think I would say there are two things that brought me to these figures. The first is I was writing the book around the end of uh, Obama's presidency mm -hmm. and during the um, 2016 election. And I was interested in trying to figure out why we don't have a new vocabulary or why our vocabulary for talking about equality or freedom or justice has been quite stale. And so I went back to um, African-American history and tried to find those voices that I thought were actually quite transformative and that had something to say that moved past the standard civil rights narrative. And what I found was actually there are these movements. I mean, take the anti-lynching movement, which begins in about the 1890s, led by Ida B. Wells, who's um, 
starting to receive more attention now, but you start to see that she, as a black woman who was marginalized in public, started to really lay bare the violence of lynching and the way that it was used as a justification to perpetuate white supremacy and to instill fear in the black population. And so I was interested in how do activists speak in moments of impossibility where the likelihood of success is actually quite unlikely and try to make sense of what we can recover from these moments that can energize our politics today. Right. Uh, why not Nat Turner? It's <laughs> a good question. Well, I think uh, part of... I mean, I feel, I, and I guess the reason I ask that is I, I, when I think about resistance and, I guess, revolt even uh, in African-American history, he stands out as not the first and not the only. I mean, there were many... There were many slave revolts or attempts at slave revolts, but that is the 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 one that rises to the well to the level of historical memory, right? Uh, the, it's the one that 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 stands out, and that's such a I feel a, a bedrock part of resistance as it as it moves forward. That uh, that I'm wondering how you how you tell the story without that beginning, right? Well, um, I mentioned Turner because I think you you're right that actually his revolt was integral, specifically in the way that Americans understood resistance. And I think I'm actually glad that you pointed it out because resistance becomes, at least when it's enacted by black citizens, um, a bad word. Yes, It's a word, and we see today. Riot. Riot, exactly. That somehow it is not something that fits into patriotic Americanness. To be an American is to engage in dissent, not resistance. And so I think, quite strikingly, Turner's revolt is memorialized in the public culture as a form of bad citizenship and bad activity. And in a way, that sets the narrative for how many Americans understand resistance. And rather than turning to someone like Turner, who actually didn't write much and didn't justify his resistance in kind of um, uh, a a manifesto. There was an interview taken with him, but I turned to someone like David Walker, Mm -hmm. who was um, a a salesman of used clothing, was part of the AME church, and he penned this uh, uh, manifesto called The Appeal. And it's quite remarkable that he's, first of all, the subtitle is to the colored citizens of the world Mm -hmm. at a moment when in America, black citizens, black citizenship is not really seen as a thing. And so I was interested in that kind of intellectual justification, not only the act, but when we resist, how do we talk about resistance? And how are we able to make claims like Walker does? that are not sanctioned. To call black people citizens in 1829 is almost seizing the language of citizenship (laughs) and saying, you know what? Um, We, as people who live in this country, will dictate the terms of what it means to be a citizen. And that's something that I think we see over and over again in American history, the seizing of the language of citizenship, even when it's not sanctioned. Yeah. 
Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Alex Zamelin. He's a professor of political science and director of African American Studies at University of Detroit Mercy. He's the author of a book called Struggle on Their Minds, The Political Thought of African American Resistance. Uh, we're talking about the history of African American resistance in this country. Do you see resistance as patriotic? Can you be a resistor and uh, someone who loves America, someone who wants America to be better? Or do you see resistance as somehow outside the scope of Americanism? Give us a call if you want to join the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Tell me what you think about modern resistance movements. Black Lives Matter being, I think, first on that list and on people's minds. The resistance against Donald Trump. Is there something inherently American about that movement, about that struggle? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Alex, I also want to talk about, and I always this is not a fair question, I'll say up front. <laughs> um, I, I like to ask people who look at history now what they think historians will make of our modern time uh, in the future. In other words, will Barack Obama, for instance, be seen as a piece of historical resistance? Will he be, in history's eyes, sort of more aligned with the rise of Black Lives Matter, which is, at least in time, coincidental uh, with with his presidency? What 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 will be the what will be the take on where we are now with this whole idea of Black resistance? That's a difficult question. <laughs> I know. I told you um, up front. It's not a fair question. I'll I'll give it a shot. I'll try to answer it. So I think that one of the things that was important about Obama's presidency was, again, there were many criticisms from the left, especially from those who are concerned with racial justice, that he didn't do enough to advance the cause of racial justice, maybe because he couldn't, maybe because um, he was more interested in kind of presenting a centrist brand of politics, but ultimately, I think what is important and what we shouldn't overlook is, as you pointed out, there were m many opportunities for Obama to directly confront or challenge Black Lives Matter in a way that we've been talking about, that they somehow were anti-patriotic or unpatriotic. I mean, just imagine um, what Trump was saying during the election about a group like um, Black Lives Matter. I think what was remarkable was actually his restraint and his ability to kind of uh, appreciate a resistance movement and a social movement to allow him to maybe be pushed in a more progressive direction. So I think that is something that's important and shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah. Regarding Black Lives Matter as a movement, I do think it fits quite well with the history of 
black resistance. Sure, sure. And it's a much more it's a much more recognizable absolutely form. And I guess I guess my question about Obama is about that that relationship between him and something like Black Lives Matter or him and more mainstream, not just African-American thought, but uh, uh, American thought. I mean, he he leads at a time when he's unable to move the ball uh, on that front in, in many ways because of the because of the resistance to him. Right. Uh, but I, I wonder that whether in history he will be seen as just his presence will be seen as a sort of statement of resistance. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, when we look at the history of American political thought, specifically the political thought of leading statesmen and women, he is definitely at the top of the list as an intellectual figure who's actually trying to grapple with issues that many politicians are not trying to grapple with. And he's grappling with them intellectually. You read his books, his speeches. I mean, his speech on race mm-hmm. in Philadelphia in 2008 will probably go into the canon of the greatest speeches in American history. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that and you think about the inspiration for future generations, that's important. So the question then is, is his rhetoric actually going to be remembered more than his policies? Is his symbolism, which is quite important as the first black president, going to be more um, kind of memorialized in the future? I think so. But I also think that we shouldn't overlook that he did give a speech about Trayvon Martin after Trayvon Martin was killed by George Zimmerman. And he did get into these discussions that many were really, really, speaking of resistance, were really reluctant to embrace. And that's important. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Tanya in Detroit. Tanya, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Thank you and good morning. I I enjoy your programs on a regular basis, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Thank you. Go ahead. I am. I have a problem with the whole concept of, of of being beholden to a fallacy. America, you're not unpatriotic if you stand up against abuse and oppression and demand that people that are mistreating you stop. Uh, it's okay to tell greedy control freaks no. <laughs> And no is a complete sentence. (laughs) If anything, if you want to connect to patriotism, it is our duty, being blessed to be born in a democracy, to stand up and fight. Because white supremacy is a fallacy. The fact that a certain group of people decide that what's best for all of us (laughs) is a fallacy. (laughs) And we have a responsibility to live in truth. And as an egalitarian Christian, I can't stand by and not say something yeah. on whatever level I can speak. So the, the the fact that the burden seems, in terms of his, history in America, seems to fall on black people, is that that is because we have been the largest group in addition to the Native Americans that have been oppressed. Yeah. So... We're, we're the most patriotic people here <laughs> because we want to make sure that 
we can have water and we can have schools and we can walk in without walk down the street without getting shot and and, and letting white people know and these new breed of unbrave cops, cowardly cops that claim that they're just so scared of black people that they got to <laughs> kill them first. We have a responsibility to God and to this country to say no. Yeah, Tanya, uh, Tanya every day. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great set of points that you're you're making there and uh, you know I can hear in the sort of strain of your voice all of these figures that are featured in in Alex Samlin's book uh, that that history sort of carries forward into the things that uh, that you're saying so I really I really do appreciate the call uh, and the comments let's go to Jackie in Detroit Jackie you're up next hello hi Jackie how are you hi I'm good how are you good Go ahead. Good. So um, I just I want to thank you for um, your conversation. I think it's really great. Um, I founded um, I founded Avalon International Breads in 1997, a co-founder Ann Perot. And you know, in a weird way, that was an act of resistance. Um, it doesn't seem like it would be, but you know, the narrative right then was that Detroit is closed for business, and we kind of challenged it. So sometimes I think resistance can be challenging the narrative. But uh, Jimmy Boggs, who's one of our mentors, used uh-huh. to say, um, "You got to love America enough to change it." <laughs> and so, That's a great quote. I really, I really support the idea of resistance as really ultimately patriotism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jackie, thanks very much for the call and for the comments. Uh, Alex Zamlin, uh, is there quickly before we break? Is there is there a threat to the future of resistance in America. Is there, is there, are we losing some of what made us sort of what we, what we are today? We had a conversation a few weeks ago about the idea of religion having sort of exited the conversation or exited the context of the conversation about resistance, uh, particularly on the left. Uh, I, I wonder what you make of, of modern resistance and its, its strength going forward. Well, I think it is telling, and based on some of the callers, I think it's telling that citizens do not want to dispense with this term, no matter its militant associations or its uh, uncomfortable associations for some in America. So I think that the very fact that citizens continue to be interested in using the term and going out in the streets, I mean, it was quite remarkable to see after the uh, travel ban was imposed in January, people spontaneously went out on the streets. The Detroit airport was filled with protesters. And the fact that this is a word being circulated right now, in addition to all the movements, I think is quite telling of where resistance will be in the future. Yeah. Despite the fact that I think uh, the Trump presidency, the Trump administration, would not be as open to movements, not only <laughs> resisting them, but who are calling for real social change and social justice. So on some level, I am optimistic that this will continue as it always has in American history. The question, I think, is are we simply saying no? Is it simply becoming uh, co-opted? Is the term simply becoming about Uh, a kind of identity of saying no, or are there actual difficult challenges to the institutions, to, as someone pointed out, um, corporations, Mm -hmm. to 
those structures that perpetuate inequality, not only for black Americans, but for Americans throughout. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Alex Amlin, professor of political science, director of African-American studies at U of D Mercy, author of Struggle on Their Minds, The Political Thought of African-American Resistance. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Up next, we're going to talk about whether your drinking water is safe to drink from the tap. We're not talking about Flint. We are talking about Southeast Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 